God, I just thank you for these dear people. Lord, there's so many children being born into families in this church right now. and God, it's such a, such a cool thing uh, to see you blessing families in that way. Lord, we're excited to see how you're going to use this ministry. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to mature and work in our lives. Lord, to prepare us to participate in that individually. Lord, with our our families at home or in our workplaces, but Lord, also collectively in unity as a church. And so, God, I pray that you would draw us closer and closer together as a body and that we would be interconnected, Lord, that we would be a picture of what the body should look like led by you. And so, Lord, would you continue to mature us and take us on, Lord, all the circumstances that are going on in our lives, we recognize these are things that you are growing us with. You're increasing our faith. You're strengthening us. You're revealing sin in our lives to us. And God, I pray that we would just have our eyes open and our ears tuned to what you're saying. And so, Lord, especially as we begin this new uh, study series this morning, God, I pray that we would commit to, um, Lord, just receiving from you what you have to say and your instruction. And God, I pray that it would be your words on my lips. Lord, that I would be speaking in the power of the Spirit. And Lord, that you would just take anything that's not of you and of me and push it aside. Lord, I pray that these words would be seasoned with salt and that they would bring light into our hearts and reveal. God, just where we need to be. And it would encourage us and build us up. Lord, as was prayed, I pray as well, Lord, over this whole group, would you increase all of our joy? Would you increase our satisfaction in you? And I thank you for this time of prayer, Lord. I'm so blessed to hear these people pray, this body to come together and to cry out to you collectively. May we never fail to do this together. Lord, we recognize that prayer is powerful. We need to be devoted to it. And so we thank you, God, that you are so accessible, always there listening and always giving us guidance. And so, Lord, lead us on now as we study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me this morning to the book of Daniel. Uh, You'll find it sandwiched in between Ezekiel and Hosea, right between the end and the beginning of the major minor prophets. There's some debate as to whether Daniel is a major or minor prophet. I'd say he's pretty major. We're going to begin our study series uh, here this morning, and, and it's it's difficult for me. I was explaining this to my wife yesterday because as a Bible teacher for a school for a number of years, there's a part of me that wants to do a four-hour introduction and then spend another four hours on the first few verses. And so it's totally different as I pull my entire microphone over here. It's it's totally different um, to to teach in a, in a Sunday morning setting for a church because my goal is to is to give you an understanding, but this is by no means going to be exhaustive. There are so many things that we could talk about via introductory material going into Daniel, but I want to encourage you guys to do that on your own. And I just want to give you this this preset idea here. This is going to be powerful. This is going to be a very impactful study for us. There is so much more beneath the surface to mine out. Spend time in the book of Daniel as we study through this. There is so much more material. If you want my resource list, my reading list is about six, seven books high for this right now. And 
if you want those titles, I'll give them to you. You can read them. It's fantastic. But if, even if you want one good resource to read, uh, just talk to me. But I want to encourage you guys to mine deeper. I have to preface this with that because I can't go too long with this. I don't want Daniel to be the book that we study for the next five years. Um, and it easily could be, it easily could be, but I'm not going to do that to you. So we are only going to get through the first seven verses of chapter one this morning, but that's just because of the introduction. I'm already explaining my way out of this. So, um, Augustine in his book called the city of God discusses the contrast between two societies. He talks about two societies and he uses two cities basically as his examples. One of the cities is Jerusalem, which most of us would connect with and say that's the city of God. You know, that's the city that's supposed to represent the city of God. Now I'll say supposed to because we all know, especially going into the material that we're going to be studying, that they failed. God's people failed. We're going to onset of being righteous lives, obeying him, walking with him. And so Jerusalem, as you see at the very onset of the book of Daniel, is going to fall to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. So one city in Augustine's comparison is the city of God. He uses that. Um, uh, the example for that would be Jerusalem. Babylon is the other example. It's really a tale of two cities in his, in his um, synopsis as he explains this. And Babylon is the embodiment of worldly humanistic living. Worldly humanistic living. This is what it looks like to live in a city that loves self, that glorifies self, that self is the pinnacle of knowledge and wisdom. And Augustine described these two cities in the following way. Two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. It's powerful if you think about it. Because self-love leads to the contempt of God. It exalts self above God. But love of God will cause us to be contempt of self. In other words, self-sacrificing. When we love God the way that we should, we become like Jesus, yes? What did Jesus do? He laid his own life down. And so when we love God the way we should, that gives people a picture of a heavenly kingdom. It's the kingdom of Christ. We love God in the way that we're supposed to. Let's narrow our gaze for a second to the mindset of our nation. I want us to be thinking about the parallels that we're going to see throughout the study of Daniel, of Babylon, and let's just be really specific, our country. We can talk about the world, but let's talk about our country. I want you guys to note the powerful parallels between the mindset and the philosophy of Babylon and the mindset and the philosophy of America. It's scary stuff. It's rattling, and it should be. You see, God's word is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, always. It's God-breathed, Paul told Timothy. And so when we read this, we need to see how it applies to our world today. And we're going to do our very best to look at these things with sobriety and honesty and address the issues in our world. I think it's pretty clear and easy to see that secularism has become so noticeable through our news media, through our social media, especially social media, that you would have to live in like a mattress cocoon to not like, you know, do you guys ever build a mattress cocoon? We moved a lot as a kid. If you build a mattress cocoon, it's awesome. Um, <clears throat> But you don't, you don't get terribly well informed inside of there. And so to not see, you'd have to live inside of there to not see that our nation is increasingly every year viewing reality as emerging from man and existing from man and for his glory. 
We are a man-centric society. We are a society that says, do you do you? Think about this. Think about the statements of our culture right now, just the little tag things that people throw out. Yellow. Well, does you only live once actually refer to living for others or self? YOLO is doing something for self, if you look at the examples that are most often given. You think about you do you. What does that mean? Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if it hurts anyone else, if it doesn't make other people happy. Oh, no, 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 you can't hurt anyone else. Well, then you shouldn't do you because a lot of you decisions hurt other people because they're self-focused. And when you focus on self, you hurt other people. You prioritize you over others. And that's an anti-biblical concept. And so this earthly love of self has led us to a contempt of God. Would we all agree that we see in our nation as a whole a contempt for God? Now, I want to think about how we veil this, though. How often do people talk about God and go, ah, I believe in God. We, there's, a, there's been a huge rise in atheism. There's been a huge rise in agnosticism. You know, basically saying, I just, you know, I don't know, I don't care, I just say present. It's like someone doesn't vote yay or nay, they just, I'm here, I'm here, I'm present, agnostic. If you think about this, these ideas, the way that we think about these types of things, we, we are looking more and more at our world as if man is the only thing that matters, as if man is the only thing that the world survives for or circles around. And when you look at what the Word of God says, we face something very striking. Bible says that's wrong. The Bible says that is the wrong way to view things and that in the end it destroys us. But the world says this is how we're happy. It's interesting to look at the true happiness of people who live that way at the end of their lives and how miserable they actually are. Because we were created to honor and glorify God. And being created to do that means that being self-serving and personally idolatrous takes us away from our created purpose, which means naturally you will decrease in happiness throughout the entirety of your life and end in a very dark, lonely, separated place. Jesus came to save us from that. And so as Christians, as believers, we look around at the world of us a lot of times. I think we ask the following questions. At least I do. Maybe some of these will resonate with you. Why has God allowed this to happen? You ever ask that question in your life? Maybe not the, you know, the world would say, if there is a God, why would he allow this to happen? We recognize there is a God. We believe there is a God and we say, God, why would you let this happen? Why was this allowed? Why did this take place? Do you guys ever ask that? I ask that. Like, God, I can't wrap my head around why that was allowed to happen. That blows my mind. Why is he not acting in the midst of plague, injustice, pain, or death? Why does it seem that no matter how hard we try to do the right thing as his church, the world just gets more and more corrupt? It's like the harder you push against it, the more you work against it. It's like, gosh, it just seems to be getting worse. I don't feel like the world is in a better place now than it was when I was a kid. I feel like we've seen a steady digression in our country, especially. Church, the timing has never been more prime for us to read Daniel. The timing has never been better for us to study the book of Daniel because what we're looking at is the story at the time of his removal from Jerusalem and the fall of of that city. In 605 BC, Daniel was between 15 and 17 years old. And he and his friends, who were probably around the same age, were taken out of their homeland. They watched another country march in, a pagan country that didn't believe anything that they believed spiritually, come in, 
ransacked their temple. There was going to be three waves of siege that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar would bring against the city of Jerusalem. And by the third time, he lays waste to it. He destroys it. And these three waves would completely decimate the people and the prophets would be taken away in different waves. And here in the first wave, 605, Daniel and his friends will be taken from their homeland, brought into a pagan society, dropped into the middle of it, and have this massive weight put on their heads that says, conform, change, become one of us. It's interesting because it's not just the destruction of their homeland and the destruction of their way of life. They are going to be put into a processing unit that wants to recondition them to be like the world. Parents of kids, how often do we see the world around us trying to recondition our kids to think like them? How often are our rights to be to raise our kids in a godly way being stripped away from us and our kids are being more and more placed in a situation where the conformity of the world is pressing down on them? You must believe this or you are a hater. You must believe what we say or we're going to have to deal with you. I can't really think. As I prayed over this for weeks and as I thought about the storyline of Daniel, I kept seeing this picture of Daniel standing in the midst of our country and our world. And I think Babylon was worse. I really do. I think the situations he was in were worse. But I see us going there. Because of the secularism and the humanism of our country, I see our children standing like Daniel will have to stand. I see our kids having to make decisions like Daniel has to make. And here's the thing. Parents, grandparents, older people, you know, I'll put myself right in there with you. I'm almost 40. Right, right, right in that mix. Listen, we have to train the next generations to stand like Daniel did because they are going to face similar days. They're going to see threats like he saw. The Babylonian Empire celebrated man's achievement. It laughed in the face of God especially in the face of Jehovah God, the God of the Israelites, because this is the God who created all things. And if he created all things and is omnipotent and omniscient and sovereign, well, then why did we just walk into Jerusalem and ransack his city and his temple? Clearly, we're more powerful. You ever have someone who's disagreeing with you about the existence of God and go, well, if God was real, why doesn't he just say something? Because God is gracious and kind and compassionate and patient. And he actually spoke a lot if you read the Bible. He's already said much. But the setting of Babylon is going to provide God the stage for him to say things in a way that would not be able to be said in other scenarios. God is going to speak so clearly, so loudly through the lives of these few men, especially Daniel, but his friends as well, as they stand alone in a culture that hates what they believe that hates where they come from and that wants to destroy them. What Nebuchadnezzar didn't know, and we'll talk about Nebuchadnezzar a lot through these studies, but what Nebuchadnezzar didn't know and what he's going to learn uh, with a lot of difficulty, especially by the time we get to chapter 4, we'll see this, is that the Lord is going to be pleased to unmistakably display his omnipotence in the midst of what happens in Jerusalem. In the midst of what's happening, God's actually fulfilling prophecy that he prophesied way before this. We'll talk about those things. But he's also going to demonstrate that he is sovereign even in Babylon, that God is powerful even in the midst of a generation that rejects him 
He is still powerful. He is still getting his work done. And if people would but stand and determine in their minds and their hearts that they're going to glorify God, we will see God do amazing things. Amen? I hope this is something that we can absorb through these studies as well. This is God's doing. This was never out of, outside of his control. God was bringing punishment on his people for all their disobedience. He had told them he would do this. And the affairs of men are subject to God's decrees. And he is able to accomplish his will despite the most dis- determined opposition of the mightiest rulers of this world. He is able to supersede and do exactly what he desires to do. May we never forget that. And within this book, we're going to be given challenging examples of determination, faithfulness, Suffering and sorrow, powerful prophetic message uh, for things that we saw happen in history and for things that we're going to see happen. Daniel's really got it all. Like, you're like, if you read through Daniel, it's like, it's no wonder that this is a favorite of, you know, the reformers. When the Reformation happened, uh, one of the most exhaustive commentaries that Luther and Calvin wrote right after the Reformation was a massive expository commentary on Daniel. Because they believed it was so powerful for the next generation to see what was coming for them and to look at an example of a man who God used so mightily in that situation. And although there's been controversy over the authorship, due mostly to the amazing accuracy of the prophecies, like no way he could have called that down to the number. We'll talk about those down the road. There's been controversy over this. It's interesting to look at the actual facts about how it was written. There's three sections of this, and we'll talk about it in just a second. But when you look at the Aramaic in the middle section of this book and you compare it to exilic Aramaic from Ezra, from um, the Elephantine Papri and other secular works of the period that we have, it's exact. The Aramaic is exact from that time period. Now, those things change over time if you know languages a little bit. Those things will change, and the way they're written will change. It is an exact match for that time period, and not only that, for the authorship of Daniel to be legitimized in Babylon. Not to mention, Jesus said Daniel taught, or Daniel was the writer of the book of Daniel, and that his prophecy was accurate in Matthew chapter 24. So, that's like the confirming thing for me. He's like, Jesus said it's totally solid and that Daniel wrote it. You know, it's a lot of like when people, we studied through Jonah while we were doing online church only and people were like, there's a lot of controversy around Jonah. It's like, well, Jesus said Jonah lived and that his example was legitimate. If Jesus legitimizes Old Testament prophets, I think we're good. I think we're good here. Okay. That was for free. Okay. You guys ready? <laughs> I've been so excited for this. You have no idea. I'm like ready to burst right now. You're like, dude, you have 10 minutes. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. Daniel chapter one, verse one. Let's read all the way down through verse seven together. And then I, I promise I'll be, I'll, I'll fly. Okay. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, <laughs> suitable for instruction and in all will. The girls are like, hubba. Uh, sorry about that. That's not in the text. Uh, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. 
Among them from the Judahites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuchs gave them names. He gave the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Now, if I was to ask you who was thrown into the fiery furnace, we would probably say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Because that's how they're referred to in the story. But these were not their original names. We're going to get to that at the end if I ever get there. Okay, so as we're looking at this, let's kind of break some of these things down. As you think about the sections of the book of Daniel, there's some interesting things to note. It's written in two languages, but it's written in one language, a change, and then another change. It's Hebrew uh, for the first section, and this will actually be on the screen if you guys want to see it. It's written in Hebrew from chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. And it's primarily talking, if you look at it in that, the light of that, it's primarily speaking to the Hebrew people. It's speaking to the Israelites. Now, section 2 runs from chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, chapter 7, verse 28. And this is written in Aramaic. Now, that would be the language that was used broadly amongst most of the peoples. This was like the interchangeable language. And so, interestingly enough, the second section from chapter 2, most of chapter 2, through chapter 7, is focused on God's dominion over Gentile nations. It's focused on God's dominion over Gentile nations. Section 3 will switch in chapter 8 and go all the way through the end of the book. It goes back to writing in Hebrew again, and it's the prophetic record that God reveals to Daniel. But here in our first section, and the reason I kind of, and I'll call those sections out as we get to them, the reason I think those are important is because of the focus of the, the literature that we're reading. We're reading something that's very historical. We're reading something that's very applicational in everyday life. And we're reading something that is very prophetic of things that happened as we'll see and things that are to come. So here at the onset of our first section, it's very important to note, if you asked Nebuchadnezzar who accomplished the overthrow of the city of Jerusalem, would he say, I did it? I would think so. If you went up to Nebuchadnezzar and be like, who conquered Jerusalem? You'd be like, hey, of course I did it, right? What does Daniel say? We can look at this right here. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem, laid siege to it. He said he was indeed there. Daniel's not discrediting Nebuchadnezzar. But notice who was responsible. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Now this is where the part of me that wants to go into a lot of history is really, got to hold on. I want to encourage you to read the history leading up to this what the nation of Judah had done, forsaken God, and how God had said this was going to happen. I'm only going to give you one example of him saying this is going to happen because this is the most detailed prophecy of the fall of the southern nation of Judah. And it was given to Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. Now, Hezekiah had brought in envoys from Babylonia. Now, recognize this. Assyria was still the superpower, but they were going to be on their way out. Babylon hadn't risen to full power yet, so you're not like, dude, chump, why are you bringing these guys in? Well, he was still not very smart for doing that, but they weren't the superpower at the time. However, his lapse of judgment gets him a call from Isaiah. You know, not that kind of call. He just shows up to talk to him. And it says this in 2 Kings 20, 16 through 18. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. 
Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father will be taken away. They will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This was predicted almost a 100 years before it happened. Here in 605, the process begins. Remember, there's going to be three sieges at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar that will come upon Jerusalem. But here in the first of those three sieges, Daniel and his friends are taken. I want to make one note. They were taken according to God's plan. They were taken into exile according to God's plan. You may not like what happens in your life. There are things that will happen that you do not have control over that are not something that you enjoy. There's something that you look at and go, how in the world can God turn this into something good? And that's where the beauty of that passage in Romans comes to light. He works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He can work these things for good because this is happening according to His plan. This is not apart from it. God had said, this will happen to you. I will bring this upon you if you disobey Me. God told them, you can read it in Leviticus, you can read it in Deuteronomy over and over again. It's, it's re- not, a, not only that, but if you read through Judges, which we're studying in our home group, it's brought up over and again. These things God told them, I have told you, don't do this. Don't worship other nations' gods. Don't fall to the other sins that they fall to. Don't do these things. And it was as if God was creating a checklist for them to look at and go, okay, we're going to do that tomorrow, and then next weekend we can do that. And you know what's funny is we look and go, oh, what did they expect? Right? God told him it was going to happen. What do we expect? What do we expect when we sin? What do we expect to happen in our country when people forsake God and live in a pagan way and murder children and, and kill people that they don't agree with and, and push things on other people that they shouldn't have to do and strip freedoms from people? What do we expect to happen in our country when the justice of God is not honored, when the worship of God is not upheld, when it's being stripped from people and when people devalue who God is and worship themselves? What do we expect to happen? We look at the nation of Israel and we're like, oh, they had it coming. Mm -hmm. We have it coming. But you know what's awesome? Church... Daniel. God's plan is being carried out. And should we go into a season that we can't find a positive view of, there is a way to honor Christ there. And we were given his example. I love that Daniel, as he writes this, has the perspective to reveal that yes, Nebuchadnezzar did carry them away to Babylon and placed the possessions of the Lord's temple and the treasury of his God, yet all this happened because the Lord handed Jehoiakim and the possessions to them. The world seemed to be winning. It looked like the world was winning. It looked like Nebuchadnezzar and after him Belshazzar reigned. Nebuchadnezzar believed himself to be above having to answer to anybody. Daniel chapter 4 is a blast. Just hang on till we get there. It's a blast because Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn a very powerful lesson. His delusion comes to an epic conclusion. So the king orders Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family, from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, capable of serving in the king's palace. These are the cream of the crop, right? These are the boys you want around. He was to teach them the Chaldean Chaldean language. Oh, man. My inner English student just flunked. And literature. (laughs) 
Um, so there's been some speculation on the word used for eunuch here, and I'm not going to get into it in, in huge detail, um, that in fact, Daniel and his friends were had to become eunuchs by the way that we understand that physically to mean I'm not going into detail there's children present um, but that you know they had to become eunuchs to, to come into the kingdom of Babylon there's one small problem with saying that's an airtight argument and it's mostly the use of the word here um, it's possible that that's what happened but the word that's used is, is saris in the Hebrew and it's used in different ways not just for eunuch but it can also be used as like a chief um, counselor um, and, and it can be used in that way quite often, chief official, if you will. And, and I don't think that when we see Daniel um, stand up and say, I'm not going to, in a, in a little bit in chapter 1, I'm not going to give in to the food processes, eating the foods that the Babylonians would eat because those were unclean for good Jewish boys to eat. Um, I don't think that he would have allowed something like that to happen as well just because that was directly against God's law. Um, now, maybe it did, and that, that wouldn't be like a game changer for us here, but there's, I've heard some speculation by different teachers and commentators that they were actually made to be eunuchs physically, um, while they're in Babylon. You don't really see it in the text and the word usage is in question because it can be used in different ways. That was free. Again, that's my teacher's side. Back to preaching. Sorry. Um, here, here's the thing that's interesting about this. Regardless of that issue, the point of these verses is really clear. Daniel and his friends have been brought into a secular worldly place. And the goal for them there is to conform them into their way of thinking, into their lifestyle. They're not just there to have their own little village and sit there by themselves and do all of their normal practices. They are brought in to be made part of Babylonian culture. Now, think about this and put yourself back in the place if you're way past this or if you're yet to be there. Imagine being 15 to 17 years old, removed from your home and put in a foreign nation and have all of this pressure put on you to conform. Teens, how are we holding up? How are we holding up? Because this pressure would have been intense. And it wasn't just bad, we'll kill you. Look at all the good stuff that they're trying to get them to do. Look at how they're going to take this process. They begin by studying the language and the literature of Babylon, but there's three more methods that we'll see used on them. Look at verses 5 through 7. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. How good are the portions the king gets? Prime. That's what he's going to feed them. They were to be trained for three years. Time would be given. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. And among them from the Judahites, they kind of identify our boys here. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, Abednego to Azariah. Now, I want us to look at this briefly, but this is really important stuff. There are three methods of submersion into Babylonian culture. Or we could say three methods that we can observe here of submersion into worldly culture. I want you to think about this. First of all, they're given the opportunity to eat and drink like kings. To have the niceties. They're promised the king's food and drink. Who's going to take the glory for all of the victory and for all of the things that are going to happen in Babylon so long as Nebuchadnezzar is alive? Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to take that. We'll see his attitude, especially in chapter 4, and we'll see it in lots of places, but chapter 4, it's like, dude, you're going to get struck by lightning. Actually, you're just going to turn into a cow. So here's the thing. 
First of all, they're given the ability to eat and drink. I can't help it. It's just slipping out. You're like, all right, now I have to read chapter four. Eat and drink like kings. They're given the niceties of life. They're pampered. Then they were given time. They're given time. This is important to me, and here's why. Things that we watch on TV today, things that we listen to on the radio today would have bothered us so much 20 years ago. If you had taken us out of 20 years ago and dropped us into now and then flicked on the TV and let us watch commercials, let us watch a sporting event, let us watch chance of you like, oh, that's just because we were stuck up. No, it's because you've been desensitized. You have been desensitized over time. These things chip away at you. And I know this because I remember back to when I was a kid and things that were like, oh, that's because you were sheltered, Mike. Maybe. Shouldn't it still bother me? If it's sin, shouldn't it still offend me? Not like, oh, I can't handle this. You know, not like losing my cool over being like, that's sin. I'm not okay with it. If Daniel, as we're going to see next week, is willing to make a stand over food, which I know was a big deal in Jewish culture, but he's going to say, I'm not going to eat this stuff. I'm going to make a stand for this. I'm determining in myself not to do this. Where's our determination when it comes to sin? Where's our determination when we look in our lives and go, you know what, that doesn't glorify God, and neither does that, and neither does that. And I'm not preaching legalism here. I just want to challenge you guys to determine in your heart to honor God and hold Him as holy. That's all I want for Christians to do. That's all I want to see in my life is to stand up for what's right and to stand up for holiness like God has told us to. And here's the thing. That doesn't make you someone who condemns other people and looks at them and says, yeah, well, you know, you're just not as... No, that's Nebuchadnezzar. We don't want to be like that. We need to look at people and say, I don't think that honors God. I don't want any part of it. Do we determine in our hearts to remain holy for the Lord? Time is given to these young men as they're indoctrinated into this culture because submersion into culture requires time. It's the frog boiling in a pot you know, analogy that we're all pretty familiar with probably. You take a boiling pot of water that's already rolling, you throw a frog in it, what's the frog going to do? Right? What happens if you put it in the pot of water at room temperature and slowly raise it? I haven't done this. And you slowly raise it over time. As the water slowly acclimates, the frog continues to acclimate until it actually boils to death. You see, if you give enough time, you can desensitize a nation. You know, I don't know what it would have done back in the 1800s if you looked at your children and said, someday, 150 years from now, millions, tens, hundreds of millions of babies will be aborted in this country. They'll be chopped up inside of their moms and thrown in the trash. What would our children say? And it's happening today. It's happening now. We have been desensitized. We're, we're okay with it. Not one of you recoiled. It didn't, bo- it didn't bother me to say it. Because we have been a part of the submersion process. And here's all I'm going to ask us to do. To determine, like Daniel, to not be a part of this system. To not be a part of this worldly culture. To look at it and say, this isn't okay. This is wrong. And I'm going to say it's wrong. 
And I'm going to offer people not only forgiveness who have been damaged by this and wounded by this, but encourage them to let their story be told so that others will stop. To offer to people real solutions and real options for care and to show them that what they're doing is destroying life that God calls precious, that God created. That's just one example. I can't imagine the things that we see on TV now that would make us weep if we hadn't been desensitized. Submersion into worldly culture requires time. And Satan is patient. He takes his time. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't get boiled in that pot. You guys, if you know someone who's been affected by the things that we see in our world, recognize this. Satan not only loves to take a life out of this world, he loves to destroy the one who will then feel responsible. He's going to laden that person with guilt and hate and regret, and we have to be part of their healing because he loves them too. We've all made mistakes. Are we part of the healing process for people who feel condemned by their sin? Because Jesus loves them and cares about them. Submersion, the final thing that we see here, the third aspect in the worldly culture, is going to require the extraction of God. Now, this is where I'll again control myself because I could dissertate on this for much longer and we, we need to wrap up. But here's the thing. Daniel and his friends' original names honored God. And so I'm going to show you how they honor God by showing you their name and showing you what they were then changed to in Babylon. This is fascinating. Daniel, his name means God is my judge. He became Belshazzar. Bel protect him. Bel would be a Babylonian god. Hananiah means God has been gracious. He became Shadrach, the command of a coup. You can guess who a coup is. We're talking about another Babylonian god. Mishael, by the way, that's my name, but please call me Mike. It means who is what God is. It's Michael in the common tongue. Who is what God is became Meshach, who is what a coup is. I think we're tracking with this pretty well. Azariah, the Lord has helped became Abednego, servant of Nebo. It changed their identity. They stripped him of their title that spoke of the God of their lands and they gave them a new identity. You're this now. Think about how the world does this. You can be you now. You can be what you want. Re-identify as whatever you want because you get to make that choice and no one can say you're wrong, especially if we've removed God from the picture. If God has sovereign authority and God is a truth speaker and God is truth and love and light and all the things that his word says he is, then we have to adjust our lives to fit with him, to what he has said. But if I have God stripped from my life, I just get to be whatever I want to be. Does that make me that thing in reality? Do I get to just choose to be a rhinoceros? Clearly no, only in Minecraft. Ah, targeted joke. Here's the thing. You guys think about this, though. We cannot identify as whatever we choose if we believe God to be real and the creator. It means that I am who he says I am. But if that's taken away from me by culture, I become whatever I want to be, which makes me the God of my own life. It makes me the ruler. It's man-centric. 
And they thought by changing their names, this is the beautiful thing. So all of these things that we're looking at and you're like, gosh, I can draw these parallels in culture. I want you to think about this. They thought by changing their names, they could change their hearts. This process had doubtless worked on myriads of other young men indoctrinating them into their culture or social system, but this changed nothing for these young men. It did not change them in the slightest. Do you know why? This is the best part. You could change a name. Only God changes a heart. You can give me whatever name you want, but you cannot change my heart. God has done that. That's his thing. That's his job. That's the level he operates on. And God is going to show the Babylonians, you can retitle these guys all you want. They still belong to me. They still are my men. God never said that what we were going to go through would be easy. And I wonder if Daniel ever wished that he'd been born at the time of King David instead. He had to have. And I, 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 it's not in Scripture, so I'm not going to say this happened. But can you imagine not thinking that at night, being taken away to Babylon and pressed into this situation, and having not looked back and said, why couldn't I have been born at a different time in the land of Israel where God was working and there was, you know, and we think about this. We think about this all the time. Why here? Why now? Because God said so. Because that's something that's out of my control. And I need to find the beauty in that. I need to find the design in that because God is never wrong. I wonder if Daniel ever wished that things could just go back to normal. I wonder if he looked at his current situation and was like, man, I wonder what it was like before COVID 605. You know? Okay, that joke totally didn't land. <laughs> Do you guys ever like looking at, man, could we just get back to normal? I was joking with like, like our, our prayer team this morning, I was, we were praying. I was like, you know, I was, I was in prayer too. So God, God was a part of this. Um, but we were praying and I was like, you know, it just feels like it, we talk about rhythms. We have these rhythms in life that we kind of go through. And right now I said, 2020 is like the jazz song from hell. Like it's the worst rhythmic movement ever. There is no rhythm to this year. I can't find it. It's like right when people are like, Ah, COVID's done. Riots. You know, and it's like, oh, cool. Are the, the right, by the way, the riots are not calming down in, in most large cities. We're just not hearing about it as much. Then COVID resurges and, you know, it's like, can we stay? Can we go? Do I wear a mask? You, you don't even know how to walk into a store. People are doing a two-step trying to go into a department store. You, you don't know what to do. You're like, am I required? Am I getting kicked out? Am I going to infect somebody? I don't even know I have infection. You know, like we, we go through all of these motions. We don't know what to do. There is no rhythm, but here's the beauty. God teaches us jazz <laughs> like that's that's the beauty god can teach you're like he can you guys god can teach us and show us and empower us to flow with the rhythm of our situations we don't get to pick the times we live in we don't get to pick the society of our times our choice and path are decided for us in that way but we can make the choice on whether we will conform to this pattern of the world or not we can look at it and listen to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12. And he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the Lord renew your mind to do some really slick numbers with jazz. He can teach us how. It's not about getting free of the situations we're in. It's about finding a rhythm in it. You're like, there is no rhythm. There's something. It may not sound like there's rhythm in jazz, but there is. It's just weird. 
You guys, we have to entrust ourselves to God for this, and it's not going to be easy. Maybe our lives will be put on the line. They will be for Daniel and his friends. Maybe our generation will never look the same. Maybe our country will never look the same. Maybe our world will never look the same. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? If this is the change that we need to bring Jesus, bring it on. It comes down to this. J.R.R. Tolkien conveyed it so beautifully. You're going to be like, really, Mike? You're closing with this? Yes, I am. As Frodo spoke to Gandalf. I was relishing saying that. I really was. I wish it need not have happened in my time. Gandalf replied, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. That's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. I don't get to decide the number of my days. It's my choice on how to spend them. Lord, may our days be dedicated to you, lived with joy and rejoicing, God, because we look at the example of Scripture and we can see what you can do. And Lord, for those who are like, I've never even read Daniel, Lord, I pray that they would stay the course in this study to see exactly what these guys, Daniel and his boys, are about to do. Lord, this is just the beginning. This is just the kickoff for an amazing book of Scripture that is so powerful and insightful. And God, I pray that it would encourage us to see that we were not put here by accident, that this was design. Lord, that you have this, that you're sovereign, that you are omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. And God, that you can do all that you desire. But Lord, right now, you have desired to place your church in this environment. And so Lord, we just ask to be empowered. We ask to be filled with your spirit and given wisdom. And I ask for our church to have determination. Not to fall to legalism, but God, determination to be holy as you are holy. Lord, that you would give us a firm resolve to show the world that idolatry of self leads to self-loathing because we aren't worthy of our own worship. Only you're worthy. Lord, as we worship and close, heal our hearts and prep us for the time that comes.